0: Enough for a simple meal for a small family. Take it 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 and break it and share it. And break it and share it and break it and share it until thousands of people can eat. Enough for all of them to eat to their fill. And there remained an abundance of leftovers that far outstripped the small amount the boy first offered to Jesus. There is a story of Jesus teaching in a house full of people and being the hands that are present to catch a paralyzed man who is being lowered through the roof in need of healing. It is Jesus who says to this man, stand up take your mat and go to your home." And Jesus had plenty to say on topics of wealth, authority, and governance, though on these topics the position of Jesus had a way of being considerably different than those of the people with whom Jesus often found himself engaged. He tells the rich young ruler to sell all of his possessions and give the money to the poor. Jesus observes a widow putting in the offering plates two copper coins and commends her gift, one of sacrifice over the larger gifts born out of abundance. And another time, Jesus is recorded to have said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundant. And of course, Jesus spends a lot of time trying to communicate the nature of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And yet, here is the tempter in the wilderness dangling these temptations out to Jesus, presumably hoping, expecting that Jesus will jump at one of them and take hold. I guess I have always heard and read this story under the title of the section in every Bible I have ever owned, the temptation of Jesus. And since each week we pray as Jesus taught us to lead me not into temptation, I have just begun with the assumption that it was all bad, because temptation is bad, right? But somewhere along the way I began to consider that in this story of temptation there were not just ends with which Jesus was tempted, there were means too. The kinds of means and ends that people sit around and argue about whether the means justifies the ends. Or if the end justifies the means, or which is more important and why it matters. Looking at all the parts of this temptation narrative individually, though, there are some that cannot be conclusively labeled as intrinsically bad means or ends. Some are clear fall down and worship the devil. That one? A means. Clearly bad. The end, though, all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. It is hard for me to define whether possessing them would be inherently good or bad. The first temptation. This is the one that causes the most confusion for me because temptations are bad. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus hasn't eaten anything for 40 days. What evil could come from turning stones to bread? Was that Jesus' first miracle, something like this? In the Gospel of John, Jesus is at a wedding and he turns water into wine, and not because people are thirsty because his mom asks him to. Further, the author of the Gospel of John tells us that it was upon seeing this that the disciples believed in Jesus. The story is not a direct parallel, but bears sufficient similarity that it makes me wonder. The second temptation. The devil telling Jesus to throw himself off the highest point of the temple because the angels of God would catch Jesus and he would not get hurt? I'm not sure how this one is even a temptation. But for the sake of our discussion, throwing oneself off of such a high place seems to land clearly on the bad side of things. But angels of God catching Jesus? That doesn't seem so bad. This story, the temptation of Jesus, reminds us one more time that the Bible does not have the answers to all of our questions. In this case, as in others for me, it creates more questions the more I read it. While I have a lot of questions, in this reading and others throughout the Bible, there are some things about which I am increasingly certain. Among them, that our faith is a 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52 weeks a year kind of faith. It is not a one hour on Sundays and sometimes Wednesdays kind of faith. Our faith influences the whole of our lives and affects all of the decisions we make. The decisions that we make in this space and outside of these walls in other spaces. The decisions that we make in private and the ones that we make in public. The decisions that have clear, right answers. And the ones where it seems there might be two good answers and we're not sure which one is right. But how does our faith inform our decision-making process when things just aren't clear? How can we know when something is good and when something is right? Sometimes thinking in parts helps. We can think in terms of means and ends. Are the means good? Are the ends good? Or perhaps it is helpful if we consider the whole process that we're thinking about. One way to get down into the weeds of whether a decision is good or not, or if it is right or not, is to ask these kinds of questions particularly when our decisions affect more than just ourselves. And if the answers are not that the means are good, that the ends are good, that the process is good for us and others on whom our decision impacts, then it just might be that like Jesus in the wilderness, We are being tempted toward something that seems good, but isn't right. This kind of thinking and discerning fits well with the season that has just begun, Lent. Lent is the season of fasting and prayer, of penitence and preparation. We tend to associate Lent mostly with fasting or, as the Today Show captioned it this week, Mark Wahlberg's 40-day challenge. But we know that the fasting of Lent is not a one-time, easy decision. It is more than a 40-day challenge. It is a daily commitment to a fast that will continually call us deeper into prayer and deeper into relationship with God. The fasting of Lent removes from our lives some of the stuff that is taking up time, space, energy, and or resources. And that deprivation leaves space for something new. Traditionally, That new thing has been prayer and contemplation, practices which draw us ever closer to God, turning our focus toward the cross that waits at the end of the journey of Lent. Decision-making is just like any other discipline. It takes practice to get better. If we start with the easy decisions, the ones that have a clear, good, and right option, and consistently choose what is right each time we come to those easy decisions, they get easier. But something else happens, too. Our practice of choosing what is right begins to spill into questions that might otherwise take more effort to understand and choose. But even with practicing choosing what is right, there remain some decisions that just take time and discernment. Some even that require calling on the community of God to join in the process to help Us to understand if the means we are considering are good, if the ends of the process are good, and if the whole process is good, and even more, the community of God is here to help us to discern what is right. As we together enter this season of Lent and as we choose fasts that will help us draw near to God as we journey toward the cross, let us also find healthy practices to fill the space left by our fasting. And as we journey deeper into Lent, all the while drawing near to God, let our decisions be marked by discernment, That it might be ever more clear that we are leaning toward making decisions in which the ends are good, the means are good, the whole process is good, and even more than good, that we are striving toward making decisions that are right. Amen.